Welcome to Old Treasures Made New, your devotional podcast on the go or at home, where you read the scriptures and reflect on them with those from the past. Today, we'll be reading Luke 5, verses 17 to 26, and then through J.C. Rao's expository thoughts on Luke. Please take a moment to pause and to ask the Holy Spirit to bring understanding and to apply what we hear. Luke, chapter 5, verses 17 to 26. On one of those days, as he was preaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this that speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier, to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. This is the word of the Lord. A threefold miracle demands our attention in these verses. At one and the same time, we see our Lord forgiving sins, reading men's thoughts, and healing a paralytic. He that could do such things and do them with such perfect ease and authority must indeed be very God. Power like this was never possessed by man. Let us mark firstly in this passage what pains men will take about an object when they are in earnest. The friends of a man, sick with palsy, desired to bring him to Jesus that he might be cured. At first they were unable to do it because of the crowd by which our Lord was surrounded. What then did they do? They went up on the roof and let him down through the bed, through the tiles, into the midst before Jesus. At once their object was gained. Our Lord's attention was drawn to their sick friend, and he was healed. By pains and labor and perseverance, his friends succeeded in obtaining for him the mighty blessing of a complete cure. The importance of pains and diligence is a truth that meets our eyes on every side. In every calling and vocation and trade, we see that great effort is one prominent secret of success. It is not by luck or accident that men prosper, but by hard working. Fortunes are not made without trouble and attention by bankers and merchants. Practice is not secured without diligence and study by lawyers and physicians. The principle is one with which children of this world are perfectly familiar. It is one of their favorite maxims that there is no gains without pains. Let us thoroughly understand that pains and diligence are just as essential to the well-being and prosperity of our souls as of our bodies. In all our endeavors to draw near to God, in all our approaches to Christ, There ought to be the same determined earnestness which was shown by this sick man's friends. We must allow no difficulties to check us and no obstacle to keep us back from anything which is really for our spiritual good. 
Specially, we must bear this in mind in the matter of regularly reading the Bible, hearing the gospel, keeping the Sabbath holy, and private prayer. In all these points, we must beware of laziness and an excuse-making spirit. Necessity must be the mother of invention. If we cannot find means of keeping up these habits in one way, we must in another. But we must settle in our minds that the thing shall be done. The health of our soul is at stake. Let the crowd of difficulties be what it may, we must get through it. If the children of this world take so much pains about a corruptible crown, we ought to take far more pains about one that is incorruptible. Why is it that so many people take no pains in religion? How is it that they can never find time for praying, Bible reading, or hearing the gospel? What is the secret in their continual string of excuses for neglecting means of grace? How is it that the very same men who are full of zeal about money, business, pleasure, or politics will take no trouble about their souls? The answer to these questions is short and simple. These men are not earnest about salvation. They have no sense of spiritual disease. They have no consciousness of requiring a spiritual physician. They do not feel that their souls are in the danger of dying eternally. They see no use in taking trouble about religion. In darkness like this, thousands live and die. Happy indeed are they who have found out their peril and count all things loss if they may only win Christ and be found in Him. Let us mark, secondly, the kindness and compassion of our Lord Jesus Christ. Twice in this verse we see Him speaking most graciously to the poor sufferer who was brought before Him. At first, he addressed to him those marvelous and heart-cheering words, Friend, your sins are forgiven. Afterward, he adds words, which in point of comfort must have been second only to the blessing of forgiveness. Arise, he says, and take up your couch and go into your house. First, he assures him that his soul is healed. Then he tells him that his body is cured and sends him away rejoicing. Let us never forget this part of our Lord's character. Christ's loving kindness to his people never changes and never fails. It is a deep well of which no one ever found the bottom. It begins from all eternity before we were born. It chose, called, and quickened them when they were dead in their trespasses and sins. It drew them to God and changed their character and put a new will in their minds and a new song in their mouths. It is born with them in all their waywardness and shortcomings. It will never allow them to be separated from God. It will flow ever forward like a mighty river through the endless ages of eternity. Christ's love and mercy must be a sinner's plea when he first begins his journey. Christ's love and mercy will be his only plea when he crosses the dark river and enters home. Let us seek to know this love by inward experience and prize it more. Let it constrain us continuously to live not to ourselves, but to him who died for us and rose again. Let us mark, lastly, our Lord Jesus Christ's perfect knowledge of the thoughts of men. We read that when the scribes and Pharisees began to reason secretly among themselves and privately charge our Lord with blasphemy, he knew what they were thinking and put them to open shame. It is written that he knew what they were thinking. It should be a daily and habitual reflection with us that we can keep nothing secret from Christ. To him apply the words of Paul, 
All things are naked and open to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Hebrews 4.13 To him belong the solemn expressions of the 139th Psalm, the psalm which every Christian should often study. There is not a word in our mouths, nor an imagination in our hearts, but Jesus knows it all together. Psalm 139 verse 4 How many searchings of heart this mighty truth ought to awaken within us. Christ ever sees us. Christ always knows. Christ daily reads and observes our acts, words, and thoughts. The recollection of this should alarm the wicked and drive them from their sins. Their wickedness is not hidden and will one day be fearfully exposed except they repent. It should frighten hypocrites out of their hypocrisy. They may deceive man, but they are not deceiving Christ. It should quicken and comfort all sincere believers. They should remember that a loving master is looking at them and should do all in his sight. Above all, they should feel that, however mocked and slandered by the world, they are fairly and justly measured by their Savior's eye. They can say, You, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. John 21, 17. That is the end of Rao's expository thoughts for these verses. Let us carefully consider what we have heard today, and may the Lord be pleased to bring the growth for His glory. In considering what we have just heard, would you prayerfully ask yourself and others the following questions? First, Ryle says that necessity must be the mother of invention. That is, if something is important to us, we will find a way. When it comes to prospering our souls in Bible reading, prayer, being part of the church, are we driven by necessity to find a way, or do we easily give in to other things? Is how we are living right now proof that we believe our souls are eternal, or that this world is our true treasure? Second, can we say that Christ's love and mercy has been, and is, our only plea? Or do we find comfort and hope in other things? And third, what does God's omniscience do for our souls? Does the fact that God knows our thoughts give us a godly fear that drives us away from sin and toward the one who loves us, or away from him?